Well, I don't, notice, I don't know if you noticed, but when Pastor Lejeune stands behind this pulpit, he kind of towers above the mic. This was made for me. <clears throat> You'll probably get a riser you know, <laughs> a little bit. Uh, Romans chapter number 10 today. Romans chapter number 10. We'll look at three or four verses there. And we'll get there in a little bit, but first some uh, introductory comments. Uh, we're celebrating 42 years as a church family, just like Pastor Lejeune said. And a lot's changed in four decades. A lot of the things in the world around us, a lot of things in our own life. Um, the few of us who were active in those first few years have changed. Uh, we've, uh, some of us have lost some hair. <clears throat> there have been weight adjustments. Uh, some of us have gone from being an active parent. When Lynn and I arrived, we had a sixth grader and a fourth grader. Uh, now we're expecting to be great-grandparents. Our youngest uh, son, Andrew, and his wife, Samantha, are expecting. Youngest grandson, rather. Oldest grandson, isn't it, Lynn? One of the things about age is you get things mixed up. But, but I have a wife that keeps me straight. Okay. Oh, my uh, our first church computer was an Apple IIe. I wish we had that now. It would probably be worth about $100,000. It had two five and a quarter inch floppy hard drives. Uh, just think, you don't even know, nobody under the age of 40 even knows what a floppy is. So don't smile at me like that and say, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you didn't know what that was. Uh, but that was uh, how we started. Uh, let's see. Uh, our first mobile phone. We got it so that we could take it on trips with our van. Uh, the van that we bought from the uh, Department of Corrections in the state of Connecticut. The one that was decorated with every side panel in the van, one inch apart, cigarette burns everywhere from the Department of Correction. That was our first van. We did use spray, so we didn't smell the cigarettes, but we could see their evidence. And we had a brick phone. By that, I mean it was a mobile phone. It was in a bag. It looked like you took the phone off the wall. Again, I'm dealing with folks that don't know what that means, I know. But took the phone off the wall in the kitchen and put it in a bag on top of a big battery. And you could actually dial and use that for emergencies. You only used it for emergencies. Because I don't know how many dollars it took to place a call. But uh, that was our first uh, mobile phone as a church. Uh, let's see. Some other things. Um, when we bought our home, Lynn and I bought a home in uh, 1982 on Nichols Avenue. The rate of mortgage interest was 16 and a quarter percent. You needed 25 percent down. Okay. So some things have changed for the better. Not all the things in the past are good, but that was certainly true. And uh, we also note that um, today's world, everything revolves around that iPhone or that Android. Uh, folks walk around. Folks didn't walk around on sidewalks bumping into things, looking at their phone. They didn't have doors closed in their faces looking at their phone. Uh, you just didn't know what that was. We didn't have anything like that. So some, 
Some technical things have changed. Some financial things have changed. Uh, but, you know, there are things in the world, uh, even churches have changed. Uh, at least quite a few have. Congregational hymns like we sang today. Joyful hymns. Exciting hymns. Everyone joining in. You know, praising the Lord with our voices. Congregational hymns have been abandoned by numbers of churches, large number of churches. It's been felt, well, I understand why. Lynn and I were saved out of a Protestant mainline denominational church. We were saved uh, going to a gospel preaching church, hearing the gospel for the first time. I can still remember that in that church there was a piano. Voila. We had never heard a piano in a church, only big organs. Big organs, massive organs. And in those kinds of Protestant liberal churches, the congregational singing was kind of like this. You didn't want to sing out, people would look at you. You didn't want to smile, because after all, you're in church. Nobody likes to go to church. You don't want to make any mistakes. You know, like a sound coming out while the message was going on. Like, oh, that's... Or, amen? Amen! Whoa. Well, you'll be escorted out. So I can understand why congregational singing has gone away in many churches because it wasn't really there to start with. But in some churches it was. But it's been thought... In some churches that new things are always better and churches need to change. I like changes. I like the writing, the printing on the, on the doors as you come in. And uh, pastor says that that has prevented a number of birds losing their lives hitting those, those windows. <laughs> Lynn and I remember that. Lots of birds. Okay. Uh, things change. We like the decorating. We like the renewal of the auditorium. I mean... There are good things in changes, but they're not all good. Not all changes are good. Uh, Keep the sermon to 20 minutes. Well, not for me today, that's for sure, and I don't think for your normal pastor. But uh, some of those new ideas, take away the music, keep the sermon for 20 minutes. Come dress for the beach. After all, time is slipping away. We don't want to waste it at church. You know, Uh, We've got... uh, Oh, I wrote this out. I, I, I saw it and I wrote this out. I didn't want to make a mistake on this. Okay. So you'll have to listen carefully. Like faux fox and faux mink. You know what those are? The replacements for fur, right? Like faux fox, it's fake, and faux mink. Have you got the latest Bible imitation? It's so close to the real thing that unless you read it, you won't tell the difference. Yeah, some churches have changed. Churches have changed. How has White Oak uh, fared in 42 years? 42 years. In 2004, when the Lord led Lynn and I to another place of ministry, I met with the deacons on several occasions we wanted to propose a candidate.
to bring before the church so the church as a whole could choose a new pastor. And when I met with those men, I'm sure that they're going to remember this. I know that uh, Pierre was there. I know that uh, um, Jim was there. And I said to them, you need to choose a pastor more fundamental than me. And they, they were affected. I mean, why would you say that? Now, I consider myself a strong fundamentalist, by the way. But why would you say that? And I said, because if you don't think that way, you'll choose someone less fundamental. And it will be this church that experiences a day that I know happened in the life of another, where the congregation walks in to the auditorium and in the book racks in the front of the pews, there are suddenly NIV Bibles instead of King James Bibles. And when the pastor was asked about that and was told, but this is a fundamental church and you're a fundamental pastor, he said, whoa, 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 when I candidated here, you said you were a fundamental church. I never said I was a fundamental pastor. You didn't ask. Churches change. Churches change. And when that sunk in, the deacon said, we've got you. We've got to check out pastors, this pastor that's going to replace you. We can't just assume because they're in a certain uh, a, a, a certain uh, graduating class at a certain Bible college, that they're solid. We can't assume that because they now pastor a church with the word Baptist on the front that they're, now so, that they're solid. We shouldn't assume that just because they carry a King James to come and candidate that they're solid. And those men did their job. Churches can change if you don't plan not to change. Well, it's been uh, 18 years since I left, and I'm pleased, so pleased, so joyful, Lynn and I both, that in the choices the church has made, two strong, godly leaders have kept the faith and kept the church on the same track. And you're blessed for Brother Peslak and for Brother Lejeune. And we're blessed because I have friends in ministry who, like me, are going up in age. Some have stayed in the pastorate their entire ministry, whereas I changed and went more toward education. But some have remained in the pastorate, but as they're watching now, the churches that they planted or pastored for decades, and they're watching what the next pastor or pastors have done, they don't preach there. They don't visit there because the church is so different and they don't want to even give the hint that they approve of the changes that are made. That's sad. But we're not sad. We're glad to be here. I was glad to listen to the singing. You all used your voices. Glad to see the handshakes. Glad to see the hugs. Glad to see folks that were rejoicing in their faith and in the fellowship around Christ which is centered in a church like this. Well, two godly pastors have paid attention to Deuteronomy chapter 5. I'll just read it to you. 
We're not in our text yet. You shall observe to do, Deuteronomy 5.32, You shall observe to do according, therefore, as the Lord your God hath commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God hath commanded you, that ye may live and that it may be well with you, and that ye may prolong your days in the land which ye shall possess. Prolong your days in the land which ye shall possess. Isn't that your goal? Prolong your days. Prolong your days. I'm looking forward. It's 42 years and counting. But what will White Oak Baptist be like at the 75-year anniversary? Now, when I say I'm looking forward, I don't mean that I'll be here for that. I'm not saddened by that, because Lynn and I will be enjoying ourselves in eternity. But some of you here, you know, 75 years is only, what, 33 years away? Some of you here, if the Lord tarries, if his coming isn't in that period of time, could be, could be today. But if the Lord tarries, some of you will be here for that 75th, or could be, or should be, here for that 75th anniversary. What will the church be like? What will the church be like? Will changes have occurred which we wouldn't recognize? You know, my title this morning in the bulletin, uh, I was uh, contacted and asked for a title. And my title is Doing What God Got Us. Uh, doing What Got Us Here. Doing What Got Us Got Us Here. In, whenever there are big sports events, that could be the World Series, that could be the Super Bowl, that could be the bowl games in college football, that could be March Madness. Whenever there are big events, there's always a question that the sportscasters talk about. They have to fill in a lot of time and they start talking and, and they talk about changes. They say something like, well, that football team normally has about 70% of their, of their uh, offensive uh, plays are passing plays. Only about 30% are running, or 20%. Do you think the coach will change that up for this game? And the other one says, yeah, you know, it's very possible the coach is going to do a lot more runs today because the defense of their opponent isn't as good at uh, defending running plays. So he may run like 60% running plays and only 40% passing plays. And then somebody, a voice says, well, you know, my philosophy has always been you do what got you here. If passing got you here, you keep passing. If defense got you here in basketball, you keep defending. Whatever got you here, you keep doing. You don't let the event change you. You don't let the opponent change you. You keep doing what brought you here. And my challenge, my challenge to White Oak this morning, to Pastor Lejeune and Mrs. Lejeune this morning, my challenge is to say this. Keep doing what brought us here. The world's going to continue to change, but the devil doesn't change. 
He's always against the Christian. The world's methods are going to change. And some of them, like technology, like streaming, what a wonderful blessing that's been, especially in this COVID period that we've come through. All these kinds of things, they're helpful, they're good, but they haven't changed the purpose, the desire, the philosophy of White Oak Baptist Church. Our text points out what has been the motivation and planning for the first 42 years. Romans chapter 10, beginning at verse 13. Verse 13 is the verse that led me to Christ on March the 19th, 1972. I was in an auditorium. I'd been there for five or six services over the weeks. It wasn't my first encounter with the gospel. A workmate, that I, a fellow engineer at Chevrolet that I worked with, had gone over the gospel plan in detail several times, had invited us to his home, and he and his wife Beth had, had taken us to church and gave us a Sunday meal after on more than one occasion and kept answering my questions. And finally, on a Sunday morning in the service, I walked forward. I was sitting there in a church with the the pews. My knuckles were white, gripping the pew in front of me. And the pastor gave the invitation, as he had every service I had been to that church. And the Holy Spirit was saying, today is the day you need to get saved. And I said to the Holy Spirit... No. I know, no, I need to get saved. I agree with you. I know I need to get saved, but I want Lynn to be saved too. So I'll go forward when Lynn goes forward. Doesn't that sound, doesn't that sound sweet? Doesn't that sound loving? Doesn't that sound... It was a trick. It was an excuse, so I wouldn't go forward. I mean, that's what it was. And you know, God isn't tricked by excuses. And he whispered to me, and I mean that, I couldn't record it out loud. It's not an audible voice, but the voice of the Holy Spirit whispered to me and said, she'll not be standing with you at Judgment Day. You'll be all alone in front of me. I shot out of that pew. I did. I went forward as fast as I could. An auditorium with about 600 people. I went forward as fast as I could. And at the front, Leroy Jordan met me. I didn't know his name then, but he said, Have you come forward for a decision? Yes, I need to be saved. Well, let's go into this. They had a prayer room. Let's go into this prayer room and we'll talk about that. He said, Do you know you're a sinner? And I said, Yes, yes, yes. Ron Kripe's gone all through that with me. I know everything about that. I just need to get saved. And he said, Well, we need to show you the Bible. Fair enough. And he went to one verse, Romans 10.13. Romans 10.13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Brother Brown, are you ready? Well, he didn't call me brother, I don't think. I wasn't a brother yet. But he said, Mr. Brown, are you ready to ask Christ to save you? And I said, yes, I am. And he said, okay, let's bow our heads. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, Yes, you told me that you want to ask the Lord to save you. So, go ahead.
first I hadn't prayed in front of another man. I can't remember. In my childhood years, I went to Sunday school. Maybe I had in a Sunday school class somewhere. But I had just met this fellow, and I'm standing, and I'm wondering, what, what do I pray? What do I pray? And he said, Mr. Brown, go ahead. And I said, Lord, save me. And he said, Lord, you've heard the voice of this dear man who wants to be saved, and you promised in your Bible, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I trust that you've done that. Thank you. Amen. I'm the kind of personality that does not doubt necessarily, so that's not been a challenge with me. But I've, I've never questioned, but what I was ready, I understood the gospel far more than, than Leroy had, had questioned me about. But because of my friend witnessing, I understood the gospel, I knew what I was doing, I just didn't know quite what to say and how flowery to make it. Oh, God and our Creator... Oh, God of Israel, oh, God of, you know, Lord, save me. That was it. And he did. Changed my life. If we go on in this reading, it says in verse 14, Romans chapter 10, verse 14, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent, as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. My, my introduction was far longer than the message, so don't, don't fret about that. But I'm going to give you four things that I think this passage reminds us of that got us here. And if we keep doing what got us here as a church, and I say we, I'm not a member now, but I'll forever be connected to White Oak Baptist Church. If this church and its congregation and its leaders keep doing these things, then those who survive to the 75th anniversary, I think will be rejoicing in their salvation and praising God for his performing. Number one, it's essential that every person believes. There's no one in the world that's so nice, even your sweet Aunt June, there's no one in the world that's so nice and so sweet and goes to church so faithfully that they're automatically going to heaven. Have we got that? Everyone, to have their sins forgiven, must believe. And the word believe is not passive. It's not, yeah, I know, sure, God, all that stuff. No, that's not it. It's believe on the basis of what Christ did for you on the cross. To believe that his life was given purposefully to forgive you of sin, that his blood was shed purposefully as a substitute for your eternal condemnation, and you're believing on what Christ did for you as being absolutely true, absolutely effective, and so you're going to heaven based on Jesus and his work on the cross not being here this morning, not singing those songs, 
Not praying, not giving that money. Here in Stratford, going door to door, one time I had a gentleman that said, yes, I know I'm going to heaven. I said, terrific. Can you give me a testimony as to why you believe that? And I expected to hear someone that actually talked about getting saved. He said, I painted the steeple for free. I've never had another person in all these years tell me, I'm going to heaven because I painted the steeple for free. I said, could you explain that? He said, my wife passed away. I'm sorry to hear that. She was a faithful member. It was a church that preached the gospel. She was a faithful, faithful member of such and such church. And on her deathbed, she said, I want you to join the church. Will you promise to join the church? And so I promised her. So after she died, I began going to church, and the church needed their steeple painted. And I'm a professional painter. I painted the steeple for free. I spent the next 15 minutes trying to, to show this gentleman that that, wasn't, that works don't save. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Ghost. That painting the steeple 25 coats was not going to save him. But I couldn't convince him. I'm sure there were some people probably in that church that thought he was saved because he painted the steeple. Because he was a nice guy. Because he went to church every week now. Because he had loved his wife dearly. Because he was faithful in giving money to the church. None of that saves. Every person on the face of the earth who's ever been born or will be born has to exercise faith, that's belief. And the scripture tells us that the alternative isn't pleasant. Would you keep your place in Romans, but go with me to John chapter 3, very familiar place, John chapter 3. We're very familiar with the passage that I'll start to read. John chapter 3, verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. That's a nice place to stop if you don't want to think about the alternative. But if we don't stop there, it says, And he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Look down all the way to the end. Verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. That's not pleasant for the world to think about, and many churches have decided their philosophy is talk about the good things, but never talk of the truth about salvation, because it will offend people to think that you're saying that some folks, because of their refusal to believe, or because they haven't ever heard the clear gospel, 
that some folks may spend eternity separated from God in a place of punishment called hell. If you want to be the same at the 75th anniversary, you can't default to what the world says. Good people, nice people, we're all going to meet them up there somewhere. I'm sorry, that's not true. Stick to the truth. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful sense when someone is free of sin because you've been truthful with them. Number two, it's every Christian's job to carry the message of Christ's atoning blood. Every Christian's job. Acts 4.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That message, the name of Christ, needs to be taken to every person in the world. And the verses that we read in Romans 10 says this, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Every Christian's job, every Christian's role, every Christian's privilege, every Christian's opportunity, because the world is filled with lost people, every Christian's opportunity is to take the gospel to someone else. And we see the word preach. How shall they hear without a preacher? But I don't think the context is talking about a title for your pastor. Yes, it's true that pastors should preach, without a doubt. They have several functions. They're to supervise the church. They're to be a mature example. Certainly, the Bible says, preach the word, in season, out of season. And you have a preacher for a pastor. You've had a preacher as a pastor before that. And I hope you'd consider it before that. But, that's not a title. That's a function. And every one of us has the function to take the gospel from the scriptures and tell someone else. That's preaching. And whether you take a track out of your pocket and hand it to somebody and you tell them, listen, this tells you how you can get to heaven from Connecticut. And, and to begin a conversation or whether you uh, open up at work at, at break time and talk to somebody, whether you say grace uh, in front of your meal and someone asks you about that. That's an opportunity to preach, meaning how can I get them into the truth that Jesus died for them? That's the message. That's the goal. In the early days of White Oak, it was so exciting, and I'm sure it still is, when you win someone to Christ. Without a doubt, it's exciting. But what was so exciting is that people that never thought they could did. Folks might come to church and say, listen, I talked to somebody at work. And I gave them a track. And they're interested. And I've been praying for them. Would you pray for them to come to church? Yes, give me their name. And then maybe another, work, another week the, 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 the comment was, listen, I talked to them and I went over a track with them. And they seem real interested. And then another week it might be, listen, they prayed to receive Christ. And whether they ever came to church or not, wasn't that the goal? They prayed to receive Christ. And other people didn't go, oh, they went, that's great, fantastic. I'm working on this person at the bus stop. And, oh, I've been talking, I'm going this weekend to see my grandmother. And I'm, 
And constantly there were testimonies of people and what happened when they told someone about Christ. All the testimonies weren't they got saved. Got it. But every testimony that said I tried was a sense I'm doing what God asked me to do. And that attitude in a group, because over a period of time, churches change. And the pastors looked upon as the professional. And it's his job to go out and tell people, that's not my job, I'm an accountant. That's not my job, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm involved in manufacturing. If, that's not my job, I'm in trades. That's not my job. And you end up with a liberal church with a pastor that, can, that tries to get the gospel out and then gives up. Pastor Lejeune needs you. He needs you to keep up his motivation. He's never talked to me about this. I just know. What a motivating thing when someone that you thought would never, ever be bold enough to tell somebody about Christ comes in and says, I won my aunt to the Lord. Wow. I probably need to preach on that again. Number one, it's essential that every person believes. Number two, it's every Christian's job to carry the message of Christ's atoning blood. Number three, the church's job is to prepare her members to carry that news. The church's job is to prepare you, and you're part of the church, right? That means some folks in this room can help other people in this room to learn and know and experience, to tell people about Christ. It's the church's job to prepare Christians to go out into this world and share the gospel. Yes, we, uh, we send missionaries to the field. The scripture in verse 15 said, And how shall they preach except they be sent? Who's sending them? Well, the Holy Spirit said, Yes, but who else? White Oak Baptist Church. In the name of Jesus. Going out. And to have opportunities to learn the Romans road. How many remember the first time someone said, Mark your Bible, we're going to go to Romans chapter 3 and start there. How many remember hearing about the Romans road? Sure. Good. That's a good number of hands, preacher. And whether that was 30 years ago, or 20 years ago, or 10 years ago, or 2 years ago, the Romans road's still there. There are other verses. I've got it. But to prepare people to say, I can go to my Bible. I can show someone why and how they can be saved. I can do that. I can put it in my New Testament. I can put it in my vest pocket. I can carry it in my purse. I can show somebody. Because the next step is, you get to do it. If you're prepared, God will send someone. If you're prepared, God will send someone. There are very few of those, sirs, what must I do to be saved? But there's a lot of folks crossing your path every day if you should broach the subject. And here and there, someone's going to say, wow. For Virginia, I won't mention her last name, she probably still lives here in Stratford. For Virginia, when I knocked on her door the week before our first service, she was actually outside sitting on her little stoop. So when we walked up, 
a soul winning partner and I walked up, told her about the church, and she said, told her about the church service and wanted to tell her about Christ, and she said, you know, I sent Billy Graham, he was still active in ministry then, he wasn't, uh, I sent Billy Graham a note this morning asking how I could be saved. I said, the Lord didn't want you to have to wait. Because I believe that. He sent me to tell you that. And she got saved right there. Right there. There are going to be some folks like that. They're rare. They're rare. But here and there, one of you is going to encounter someone that says, I've been thinking about that. Tell me about it. The whole congregation responsible to take the gospel. The church's job is to prepare you to do that. We send missionaries into the field. We send young men and women to Bible college. Amanda and Kyle are going to be graduating from New England Baptist College. They're going to be walking this year in May. Amen? amen. I think Kyle's wife says double amen. Okay. But uh, So, yes, we prepare people that way. But the context here... Is an exhortation that the church in Rome, Romans, written to the church in Rome, the church in Rome make it their duty to send out Christians equipped to share the good news. Good news, that's the gospel. The gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. The gospel, good news. Prepare to send them out. To send them into the homes and the workplaces. To send them into Bridgeport and Stratford and Shelton and Derby and Milford and wherever you live. The responsibility of White Oak Baptist Church through its leaders is to make sure you have the resources and the basic training, very basic, to lead someone to Christ and to never, ever forget that. There are wonderful programs there are wonderful books that others have written and have authored that are help on family life, help on finances, help. And those are all good things for Christians. But never forget that the basic is the gospel and how to present it. Number four and last. Our spirit should be stirred anticipating the testimonies of lives that will be changed through the Holy Ghost. As a church, every service, you could enter this fellowship. I know it's in a building, and I know the building's not the church. But you can enter this fellowship anticipating that you're going to hear some testimony, some good news, some comment. Some anecdote about how God has changed a life. And you'll thrive on those testimonies. It says God's alive and well. It says He'll do today what He did on Pentecost. It says He will change lives today like He changed lives in the Old Testament as well as the New. It says that your life which could be a life of defeat today, wondering how you'll survive, wondering how you'll get through a night without pain and sadness, wondering can be absolutely turned over. Because God does that. 
Lynn and I had been saved a very short time. We had not even found our, our, the church home where we'd be baptized. We got saved, and I described how I got saved, but it was a church 40 miles from our home. It was where my workmate went to church, and we went with him. And the pastor there and my friend understood you need to find a church that, that's closer so you can grow there. But while we were there, we heard of another church in that area, 40 miles away, having a revival. And in that church that had the revival, some twins had come. They'd ministered in Canada for some years. And it's odd that twins would be, twins would be evangelists. That is, they took turns preaching. I don't mean tag style like wrestling where they preached half a message and tapped out. I just mean that one night one preached, and the next night the other preached, and then the preached, and then they preached, and then they preached, and then they preached. So we decided we would go. We heard some interesting or unusual things. The Satara twins. And we went. We only went a couple nights. It was a long drive. But on those nights, I was astounded. One of the twins would come to the pulpit. They had congregational songs. It was a brief service. He would preach probably 30 minutes or so, give an invitation, and there were folks that responded to the invitation. And then they had what they called afterglow. We're going to stay for afterglow. Hmm, afterglow, what's that? So we stayed. The church was Sunnyvale Chapel. We stayed, and afterwards they had folks... If you're going to give a testimony tonight, line up right here. Line, and a line would form all the way down that wall, all the way back out there. And someone would come. Okay, first testimony, come. Share your testimony. What we were astounded at was things like this. Well, I came two nights ago, and the Lord struck my heart that I have a friend at work that's not saved, and I determined I was going to tell him about Christ. I thought he'd probably curse at me, but he didn't. And so we sat down at break, and he listened, and he got saved today. Fantastic. Wait a minute. And here he is. And he'd give a testimony. Next person. Well, I prayed for this, and I prayed for that. And I prayed for this person. And so I made a special phone call, and I did this and that. And they've, uh, they've repented and they've gotten back right with the Lord. Amen. And here they are. Now, why would those folks come? Because the Christians began to expect it. They expected that when God worked, a change would occur. They expected it. Now, I've never duplicated a meeting like that. I've never in my pastorate or in my, in my assistant ministry in Central. I, I've, never, I've never been a part of a service like that. I'm not pretending I have. But that memory has stayed with me all these years. The founding pastor at Pioneer Valley Baptist Church, Jerry Cleveland, was in that meeting. The founding pastor at New England Baptist Church in Bridgewater, uh, Massachusetts, was in that meeting. The founding pastor in Meriden Hills Baptist Church was in that meeting. The founding pastor at Colonial Hills Baptist Church in Danbury, Connecticut was in that meeting. The founding pastor at uh, Greater Rhode Island Baptist Church in, uh, in uh, 
where Johnstown, Rhode Island, was in that meeting, and I was in that meeting. We did not all know each other at that time. But I'm going to tell you that I think every one of those men, some are with the Lord now, every one of those men carries in their memory that God can do powerful things. If you'll get that vision, the expectation is real. And suddenly, instead of a rarity, it becomes normal. Seventy-five years, it's right around the corner. Easy for me to say. (laughs) Seventy-five years, right around the corner. Will the church be the same? If you do what got you here, it will be. Thank you for having me today. I'm blessed to be here. I have no idea what time it is. Oh, that's not bad. I've got another 30 minutes. Uh, Glory, thank you very much. Let's have prayer. And then the pastor will come up and and, uh, lead. Father, I'm so grateful to come and the message of the Word of God. The Word of God is unchanging. Your Holy Spirit uh, has given freedom. I thank you for that. I pray I've been a help in uh, keeping the rudder straight as it has been for these many years now. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you'd help every member here to desire to be a voice, to be a conduit, to be able to take the gospel and have someone else respond. What a delight that is. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen.